You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at glendalecc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at glendalecky. Hey, thanks for being here today. It is time for Kids Church, and so if you're fifth grade and under, you are free to go. Uh, I know the Shoulders Clan has a great... uh, day or a great time plan for you. Hey, we also want to welcome in those of you watching online, and so thanks for joining us. Uh, sorry that you couldn't be with us in person today, but we're glad that you're able to, to join us online from wherever you're watching from. Hey, we're in a th- the third part and the final part of a series that we've been in for, for a couple of weeks now called Ready, and if you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, um, just to kind of catch you up real quickly, this series is about defending our faith especially without losing our minds. Because all of us, if, if you're a Christian, this series is, is really for Christians because all of us have been in situations at some point in our life where somebody's made a comment. Somebody's tried to make just a jab. They didn't want, really want to have a conversation with you. They just wanted to, to make a comment, a jab, to kind of throw you off balance. And, and, and so it would be nice if we thought, if, if we just had something to say back to those people, if we just had maybe like one, a one-liner that we could say back to those people to respond to them, because remember, they're not interested in having a conversation, because if they wanted to have a conversation, that, that would be fun. You could, you could say things like, hey, you know, you could refer them to books, you could refer them to websites, you could say, hey, watch this series. You know, we, we, could, we could talk about whatever you want to talk about, but it seems like any time the subject of religion comes up, it's, it's just a little bit awkward, and, and oftentimes it's personal, and and so it would be just great if we had something, you know, some sort of statement that you could say. And so that's what this series is about. It's about being prepared to have that one statement so that when people walk away, at least you've given them something to think about. And we teed this whole thing off uh, with something from the Apostle Peter. Peter was one of the, the followers of Jesus. He was an apostle. He was one of the, the eyewitnesses to the things that Jesus did. He followed him around everywhere he went. He was one of the first ones to peer into an empty tomb. And in one of the letters to, to Christians that Peter wrote in the first century, he said this, and this is where we got the idea for this series. He said to Christians, he said, always be prepared, or, or we could say ready. Always be ready to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now what we've been saying throughout this series is, is this, is what Peter's not saying. Because Peter's not saying, hey, you got to be ready to defend a Christian worldview. No, that's, that's too complicated, and, and nobody's going to take the time to listen to you do that. So, so you, don't have to, you don't have to defend a Christian worldview. You don't have to, to defend every story in the Old Testament. Peter's not saying that. He's not saying you have to defend every, every story in the Bible. He's not even saying you have to be ready to defend all the bad decisions that Christians have made all, all over the world and, and why Christians do bad things and weird things and why preachers run off with other people. He's not saying you got... The, you have to be ready to defend any of that. What Peter is saying is you need to be ready to explain in this one very narrow area. You need to be ready to explain the hope that you have as an individual. Or specifically, you should be ready to defend your personal decision to follow Jesus. And so for the past two weeks, we've talked about that. And today we're going to jump into the most difficult subject of all of this when it comes to defending our faith or having a defense or something to say. And it has to do with this right here, the problem of pain. The problem of pain, because this is the most emotional pushback to to Christianity. This is the most emotional and in some ways the most powerful ways that that people will resist the idea of a good God. The problem of pain. And so before we jump into the message today, real quickly, I I just want to tell you who this message is, is not for. 
If you're here today or you're watching online and you're wrestling with, with something bad that's happening in your life, that's going on in your life right now, um, in fact, it, it, maybe it's so bad that you're, you're even having a hard time maintaining a faith in God. How can, how can God be good if this is happening in my life? I want to tell you this message today is really not for you. Today, if, if you have a friend who's going through that and they're having a difficult time believing that God loves you, uh, that God loves them, or, or that there's a God, you know, maybe they're going through something with one of their children, then I just want to tell you up front, today's message is not for them. Today's message is for believers so that we can be ready in, in those moments for people who are, current, who, who are not currently wrestling with this, but have sort of created a defense mechanism, who have sort of stiff-armed God, who have sto- sort of stiff-armed Christians, stiff-armed the church, because some, maybe something happened a long time ago, and, and the, you know, maybe something bad happened, and they just didn't work through that. They didn't wrestle with that. They didn't get through whatever it was they were doing. They didn't want to bother with God. Because the easiest way, and really the easiest way to stiff-arm Christians and to stiff-arm God, to stiff-arm the church, is to throw out this kind of big blanket statement of, well, I can't believe God is good. I can't believe God is good. Look at all the pain and suffering in the world. If, if there's all this pain and suffering in the world, then, then God can't be good. And, and guess what? You've heard that. You've heard people say that. I've, I know I've heard people say that. I've heard people who, who just don't want anything to do with God because they look around at the world and they see all of this pain and suffering and they say there cannot be a good God if there was all, if, because of all of the stuff that's going on in the world. And so today I, I just want to be upfront about this message. Today's message is for those who, who are not wrestling with that, you know, something bad in their life right now. Okay, but but maybe for Christians who who know somebody that has gone through something bad and they're just kind of stiff arming the church. And so I want to give you up front in this message two simple comebacks to to this objection Uh, to this objection. Well, I can't believe God is good. Look at all the pain and the suffering in the world. I want to give you two two uh, simple comebacks. And these aren't meant to be snappy answers to stupid questions. I've got plenty of those if you want to talk about those later. But that's not what these are. This isn't supposed to be a kind of an aha. I got you kind of thing. This is just a way to respond with two sentences to, so that you have something to say when this topic comes up. So that people who, who know you and have pushed back on Christianity know that you have thought about this. That this isn't just something that, that you've seen in the world and ignored. That we're, we're not blissfully ignorant to the pain and the suffering in the world. We, we see it and we've thought about this. And that if they're interested, there's an answer. Now the first one is simple. The second one I think is more interesting. And so here's what we're going to do. The first one I'm just going to tell you about. And then the second one we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about. But the, the first one that's the easiest, most simple response. When this subject comes up, well, I can't believe God is good. Look at all the pain and the suffering in the world. You can just say something like this. Well, hey, have you ever read anything on that topic? Simple. Have you ever read anything on that topic? And if the answer is no, okay. You can leave it at that. If the answer is yes, well, okay, well, what have you read? And, and now you're in a conversation. But if the answer is simply, hey, hey, I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to reconcile, you know, all the pain and suffering that's going on in the world with, with a God and with a good God. But, hey, have, have you ever read anything on that topic? And here's what this says to those people that might argue this. It says they're not the first one to have had this problem. 
They're not the first one who has seen that there's pain and suffering in the world. They're not the first one who's had something bad happen to them and they can't reconcile a good God with an evil world. It says that, hey, you know what? Not only are you not the first one, in fact, there have been so many people who have recognized this that there have been scores and scores and scores of books written about this very subject. This this has been so important to people over generations that, that we have literally written books about it. And so you can just say, hey, have you ever read anything on this topic? And again, if the, and if the answer is no, you say, oh, okay. And then if they ask for something, like, hey, well, what do you recommend? Well, now, now you're in a conversation with them. Now you can, you can refer them to something. But again, if they, if they say no, then okay. You just kind of leave it at that. The second one is, is more interesting, and I think it will generate a little more conversation. And so we're, we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one. And I like this one because I, I think it's kind of fun. And it's oftentimes it's fun to have fun with serious subjects. And, and that's why I said up front, if you're in the midst of this, if you're in the middle of this, then, then this sermon is really not for you. But if you're talking to someone who's just sort of using this as sort of a, a smoke screen, then this can be a really fun question to ask. So here's what I would say our second response can be. And you can just ask, you know, somebody says, hey, hey, I can't, I can't believe in God because there's just too much evil and pain and suffering in the world. And then you can say, well, well if you could... If, if it were up to you, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? Would you just remove everything bad from the world right now? If it were up to you, hey, hey, I, I know what you mean. It's hard to reconcile. I, I know of so many bad things in the world. But hey, just let me ask you a question real quickly. If you could, I mean, we're kind of dis- deciding if God is good or if God even exists. You know, we don't, we don't know. But if you could just, if you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? In other words... If you had a button that you could push, and suddenly everything bad in the world would, would go away, would you push it? Would you push it? Now, before you answer that question, let me ask this question. Have you ever done anything bad? Have you? But before you push that button that's going to get rid of everything and everyone bad in the world, have you ever done anything bad? Have your children ever done anything bad? Let, let me ask you this way. Did, did your father, before he met your mother, ever do anything bad? What would, it, what would have happened if during that time before your father met your mother, if somebody pushed a button and got rid of everything and everyone that had ever done anything bad? See, see, the only way, and this is so important, the only way for God to remove our chief complaint about God and against God is to remove all the complainers. The only way for God to, to get rid of our chief complaint against him, which is why, God, have you allowed so much pain and evil and bad things to happen in this world, our only way for, for God to get rid of all of that is to get rid of all the complainers. And you know what would happen then? There wouldn't be anybody around to ask the question, right? So before you push that button, again, let me ask, have you ever done anything bad? And that might be the end of the conversation. Really, that, that could be the end of the conversation. But as the conversation continues, here's, here's something that you should know as a Christian. That if you have a good reason to not push that button, if you have a good reason to not do away with everyone and everything that's bad, is it possible? Is it possible that God also has a reason? See, if you, if you would hesitate to push that button, I, could, I can get rid of everything bad in the world, but then I think about me. And then I think about my kids, and then I think about, you know, I think about my grandma. And, and I've got a reason to hesitate. Is it possible that God also has a reason as well? In fact, Christians believe, and we've always believed this, that the reason God might hesitate is because of you 
and me. That you and I, we are the reason that God would suddenly not get rid of all of the evil in the world. It's the same reason we don't want to get rid of all the evil in the world, right? Because if we're going to get rid of all the evil in the world, then we got to get rid of us. We got to, you know, if I'm going to get rid of all the evil in the world, I got to start with me. And so, so is it possible? Is it possible that if we would hesitate, that there might also just be a reason why God would. And the scriptures teaches and Christians have always believed that God is, is patient with evil. He's as heartbroken and he is as sick. He's as, he's as brokenhearted over all of the evil and all the bad that is in the world as we are. But there's a reason that he waits. Just like there would be a reason that we would hesitate before we would push that button. And the reason is you. And the reason is me. Now, Peter, who, who said we need to have a reason, he said we need to have an answer. We need to be ready when people ask us tough questions. Peter, he wrote this also in the first century in his second letter to Christians, and this is pretty powerful. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And we'll, we'll talk about what that promise is a, a little bit later. But he said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. He's patient. In other words, the thing that you would like to see happen in the world the thing that we would like to see all evil and all bad things, all pain and suffering, we'd like to see all of that eliminated in the world. Christians have always believed that God would like to see that too. God is as disturbed as you are. You, you haven't ever pointed out any evil in the world that, that God was like, you know what, I didn't see that. You know, there's not any evil that has ever happened, any bad thing that has ever happened in the world that God said, you know, if I'd just known that was going to happen, I could have stopped that. None of that, that's never been the case. We believe in the sovereignty of God, and because of the sovereignty of God, we know that God knows and God feels and God experiences, and He has entered into our pain. But the reason He doesn't do anything about it is because God is patient with you, as the rest of this verse says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We could say to people, hey, I know the whole evil and the whole in, in the world, this whole thing, all the injustice and all this stuff, but hey, if you could just push a button and get rid of all the evil in the world at one time, would you push it? And here's why I think this is so important. Because all of this, all of this that, you know, I don't want to get rid of the bad because then I'd have to get rid of me, all of that points to a level of hypocrisy when it comes to complaining about evil in our world. And this is for all of us, it's for me, for you, for Christians, for non-Christians, for, for all world religions. This is, this is pretty much the, the true, that there's an element of hypocrisy when we complain about evil in the world. And the easiest way to see that hypocrisy is this. Is you see, when you have a problem, I pray for you, right? If, if I have a problem, you would pray for me. Like that, that doesn't hurt my faith. In fact, that actually strengthens my faith. I'm, I'm praying for you, right? The only time I doubt God is when I have a problem. Or when, when I have people that I care about and they have problems. If, if you've got a problem, I'm going to say, hey, I'm, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll send you a note. I'll write you a card. I'll, I'll, I'll do something. You know, we'll, we'll stop whatever we're doing right then to pray for you. But if I have a problem, if something bad happens in my life, it's like, God, how could you do this to me? Right? That it, there's, there's a hypocrisy there. You know, when, when you have a problem, I'll pray for you. That doesn't hurt my faith. That it increases my faith. But if I have a problem... All of a sudden, the world's coming to an end? Like, how, how is my problem all of a sudden worse than your problem, right? And how is your problem all of a sudden worse than my problem? No, no, no. There's a, there's a hypocrisy that, that all of this points to. And so here's what it boils down to. Here's what we all want. What we all really want is one of these. Can of justice. 
Wherever we see injustice, we can just get rid of it. We can, you know, we can just spray this anywhere. You, you mistreat, mistreat children, we spray it and it's gone. We get rid of it, right? There, there's an injustice there. Uh, we want to we get rid of all the IRS people, people that, that take our taxes. We want to spray them, right? Get rid of all of them. All the Republicans, all the Democrats, just spray them. I thought when I said all the Democrats, I might get an amen. Um, we just we spray them twice, right? And, and, I mean, and there's something else that we want. We, we want a can of bad spray, right? We see something bad happen in our world, and we just spray it. Like you, you, you hang around playgrounds, and you want to sell chil- uh, drugs to children, we just spray you, right? That's, boom, you're gone, right? We, we, you mistreat children, boom. You, you're involved in sex trafficking and whatever, boom, we spray it. We get rid of all of it. That's what we want. This is what we want. We want something to be able to spray, you know, kind of at, at, the, at the aerosol level, to be able to get rid of all of the bad and the evil in the world. But here's the thing. I want to hold the can. I want to hold the can. I I see the injustice that takes place in the world, and I want to spray it. I want to spray all the bad in the world. I guess who I don't want to have the can? I don't want you to have the can. Because I've been bad. I've been unjust. There are things that in my life, if you have the can, guess who you might spray first? You might spray me. And guess who we really don't want to hold these cans? God. Because come on, let me just ask you. Have you ever done anything unjust? Let's, let's, Let's have a little moment of confession. Raise your hand. Have you ever done anything unjust or bad that, that people would consider bad? Like, I hope all of our hands are up, right? Because if not, like, you're guilty now. Um, all right, we're, we're going to spray you for being a liar. Um, but isn't that what we want? We want to hold the cans. We want to control the cans. If we think there's something unjust, then we just spray it. If something's bad, then, then we, we just spray it. But we don't want God to do this, and here's why. And this is true for all of us. We want aerosol justice. We want aerosol goodness. We don't, but we don't want to get rid of everything that's unjust because that might get a little too personal. And we don't want to get rid of everything that's bad in the world because we might be the first people to disappear. Now, all of this is true for all of us. That's what we want. But again, there's this, there's this little element of, of hypocrisy. There's this little element of injustice. There's an, an element in which I'm really setting myself up to be God because I'm deciding what's unjust and what's bad and what's, what's good and what's fair. And, and, and look, that's universal. That's everywhere. And all of that points to two very important assumptions. And the first assumption is this, is that it points to the assumption that, that there are certain things that ought not to be. This is almost a universal assumption, okay? This isn't just, you know, specific to the Christian faith. This is almost a universal assumption that there are certain things that just ought not to be. The reason you want a can of justice or the reason you want a can of bad spray is because there are things that you think ought not to be. The reason you want to spray bad every once in a while is because you know that there are things that ought to be and things that ought not to be. And it was this sense of ought and ought not to be that actually moved C.S. Lewis, the, the British theologian who was brilliant, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, right? That's what most of you all probably know him for. It was this very thing that moved him from being an atheist to a theist, not a Christian, not a Christian, but to a theist, someone who, who would acknowledge the existence of God. It was this very thing that, that broke through his skepticism in terms of the existence of God. It was the issue of ought and ought not to be. And in his books, especially in Mere Christianity, he explains that he realized that there was something in him that, that thought other people ought to do things. And he asked the question, where did that ought come from? Where, where did that come from? I, I think there are things that you ought to do. Where did that come from? 
And he said, and he says this, he says, if I made it up, if I make this ought up, then I have no right to hold anybody accountable to that standard. It's just me deciding to be God and, and I don't get to do that. But, but if I didn't make it up, and if there's something inside of you also that thinks that things ought to be a certain way or things ought not to be a certain way, then, then where did that come from? Where, if, if it came from somewhere else, then, then we've got to figure out where it came from. And it bothered him. And th- this just bothered him so much. And this was the thing that drove him to the conclusion. Now think about this. It was the injustice in the world. It was the sin in the world. It was the evil in the world that finally caused him to raise his eyes and recognize that there was a creator, that there was a, a, a God, a moral judge of the universe. Now, he wasn't ready at this point to say that Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't even ready to say that this was the God of the Bible. But he recognized this unavoidable, inescapable sense of ought and ought not. That it came from somewhere outside of himself. And the fact that you would like a can of of justice spray or a can of bad spray, and the fact that I would like that is evidence of the fact that you know things aren't right and that you didn't make that standard up. You think it, we, we think it's a widely recognized thing among people, right? We would all in this room think that there are, we all have a, a, an idea that there are certain things that should be and certain things that should not be. And so here's what he said in his book, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity. And by the way, if you've never read Mere Christianity, um, this should be a required reading for all Christians at, at any level. You should read Mere Christianity. But this is what he said. He said, quarreling means trying to show that the other man is in the wrong. And that there would be no sense in trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what was right and what was wrong. He says, think think about it this way. Every time that you quarrel, every time that you argue with somebody, you're both appealing to a standard. You you ought, or the reason I did, but you ought, or you ought not. He said, anytime you argue, you are recognizing that there's an agreed upon standard. So where did that come from? Where, Where did that standard come from? He goes on, he says this. He says, supposing you hear a cry for help from a man in danger, you will probably feel two desires. One, a desire to give help due to your herd instinct, and the other, a desire to keep out of danger due to the instinct for self-preservation. He says, so you you hear somebody in trouble, a woman screams, a man screams. There's something in you that's like, hey, I need to help, right? There's something in you that says, hey, I should go help that person. But there's also something in you that's like, hey, if they're in danger then I don't want to fall into that same danger that they're in. So so maybe I need to stay away. But he says you will find in addition, he says this, you'll find in addition to these two impulses a third thing, which tells you that you ought to follow the impulse to help and suppress the impulse to run away. And it was that dilemma for C.S. Lewis that finally drove him to realize, you know what, As 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 much evil as there is in the world, as much pain and suffering as there is in the world, it seems to argue that, that we would say argues against God. Perhaps the fact that, that I recognize these things, perhaps the fact that I recognize that there's evil and pain and suffering in the world and that things are not the way that they ought to be, maybe that's evidence for a moral law giver. Maybe that's evidence that points to a God, not against God. But this whole thing points to a second assumption as well. The second assumption is this, and this is the one that I think is so valuable for us, is that the world is broken. That's the second assumption that this points to, that the world is broken. Not just, not just human beings, okay? Not just human beings, but the entire world, the whole world. Earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, cancer, brain tumors. The world is broken. It's human behavior, but it's beyond human behavior. And we all recognize that. That's why we, we love a can of justice. It's not because it's just, it's not just the, the, it's just not right that innocent people suffer, right? 
It's, it's just not right that people going along their way are suddenly swept away because of a tornado or a tsunami. There's something in us that says that ought not to be. Something's wrong with the world. Something's wrong with me. I can't even keep my own rules. You know, why, am I, why am I like that? Because I'm broken. And the world is broken. The world is broken. We recognize that. We, we, we recognize that, and our desire for both of these opportunities is evidence that the world is broken. But Christians, and this is so important, Christians have always believed since the time of Jesus, we've always believed that our current world is not our final world. That Christians, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, and Jesus taught about this in parables, he would say the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of heaven is like that. Paul reiterated, Peter reiterated, the whole book of Revelation points toward it, that that Christians have always believed that the world did not start off broken. But when it, it was broken, when it was handed off to humanity, God handed the world off to us, and we broke it. And, and since that time, since that time, we've been given our most coveted attribute, the freedom to choose, right? The freedom to choose. This wasn't the original version. This wasn't in God's design. But we believe that this version isn't our ultimate version. Christians have always believed that the current world, this world, and all of its brokenness, and all of its pain, and all of its evil, this current world is the best path to the best possible world that the current world with everything that's wrong in it is the best possible path to the best possible world and look there 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 are we have believed this we we have believed this there have been those that have written about this people that would agree with this people that that believe that this is a necessary path to the best possible world because you know what the best possible world is You know what the best possible world is? The best possible world is a world where men and women are free to sin, but they choose freely to not sin. The best possible world is where there is the knowledge of good and evil, where where there's been the experience of the consequence of evil. The best possible world is is a world where we continue to be able to freely choose to love, to freely choose to worship, to freely choose to serve, to, to do all the things that make the world a better place but have the power to freely choose to say no to anything that, that would cause us temptation, to have the power to freely choose to say no that, to anything that would elevate me above another person, that would take away the dignity of another person, to have the ability to say no to all the things that cause chaos and destruction in our cities, in our country, and in all of the world. The best possible world, Jesus pointed to it. The best possible world, the entire New Testament points to it. The best possible world is a world where there's the knowledge of good and evil, but where mankind has the freedom to choose. And he chooses freely not to engage in self-destructive behavior. That's the best possible world. Now, imagine. Imagine with me for a moment. In a world where mankind knew the consequences Knew, knew the pain and all the suffering associated with sin in the world. And now imagine a world where we know all of that and a world that was re-given to, to the human race. And this time, you have the knowledge of good and evil. And this time you have the experience of the consequences of evil. So be careful. But this, this is the best possible world. And Christians have always believed and always taught that our current world is not our final version. That this is not the end. Thank God for that, right? That this is not the end. But it's the best way possible to the best possible world. And for some reason, this teaching has kind of drifted off center. We don't talk about this much in the church anymore. But Paul said it this way in the book of Romans. Here's how he said it. He said, I consider our present sufferings. This is Paul in the first century. He said, I consider our present sufferings. And, and you should know Paul. He, he was not unacquainted with suffering, right? 
He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be, will be future tense. He said that will be revealed in us. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? He says, for the creation waits in eager expectation, future tense. The creation, not just mankind, right? But, but, but all of creation, it's like all of creation knows that, that, that this isn't the way that it was supposed to be, that this isn't the way that it ought to be, this isn't the way that God designed it to be. All of creation is, is groaning for that. The Apostle Paul says it, it waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That is that there's something different. There's something that's going to happen. This is not our final form. This is not our final resting place. This isn't the way that God even created us to be. He says, for the creation... Creation was subjected to frustration. Think about this. When mankind sinned, everything under mankind's authority suffered. Right? It wasn't fair, but it's true, right? When, When mankind sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, everything in the world suffered as a result of that. It wasn't fair, but it was true. And I, and, and I want you to understand this because you all ha- have suffered. You've suffered at some point because of decisions that somebody else made for you, right? You suffered because maybe a decision that your parents made when you were kids. It wasn't fair, but it was, it was true, right? Some of you are predisposed to an illness because of who you're related to. It's not fair, but it's true, right? Christians have always believed that when mankind took possession of the earth, when we sinned, sin entered the world and it entered the entire world. And that's why we know it's broken. That's, that's why we know it's broken because there's, there's this vestige of the image of God that still remains in us, that's left over in us. Our ought and ought not is still in form. It's still intact. The, the presence of God rests in some way in every single human heart. We know that something is wrong. Look, people that, people that don't believe in a God acknowledge that things aren't the, that there are just certain things that shouldn't be. You know what that is? That's the image of God being pressed upon them. The image of God that's pressed upon their heart trying to come out. We know something's wrong. We know it should be better. We know there's a way forward. We know that ultimately, for things to be fixed, something at the macro level, not the aerosol level, something at the macro level is going to have to happen. And the, Apostle, and the Apostle Paul says, he says, all of creation is leaning in that direction. Not, not by choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, which would be God, right? The one who gave earth to mankind to take care of. In hope, he says, in hope that creation itself will be liberated. That it would be liberated from this bondage and decay. Think about this. This was written 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul says we are aware that decay is the name of the game, right? Our, our world is decaying. Our bodies are, de- are decaying. I, I, for the last couple of days, I've been kind of hobbling around because something in my hamstring hurts. That's evidence of decay. Uh, I, I was complaining about it this morning. My wife says, you're just getting old. And that's probably the sad reality of it. Look, everything's decaying. Stone walls decay. Everything that we create decays. But the result of this decaying factor in the world is the result was sin. And Paul says the entire planet, creation itself, is under that curse of decay. And, and, and it, but but the, the liberation of that is going to be freedom and glory from the children of God. Now you need to know this. All right, we've talked about all of this, and, and we've talked about what ought to be and ought not to be, and, and how, how the world is broken, but here's what you need to know, that that is not an emotionally satisfying answer, okay? Look, this is, this is our most emotional pushback against Christianity, against God, that, that there's too much pain and suffering in the world, and, and I'm just telling you, I, I, I believe that, I agree with that, there's a whole lot of pain and suffering in the world, it's been evidenced uh, every day, Right? 
That's our most emotional pushback. And when you hear all of this, let me just tell you, I know it's not an emotionally satisfying answer. But you see, there is no emotionally satisfying answer for pain and suffering. There's no answer that once you hear, you go, oh, well, I'm okay with children suffering, right? No, there, there's not that. Okay, you know, I'm okay with the fact that people don't have enough water in certain places. No, we're not okay with that, right? I, I'm okay. I'm fine with cancer. I'm fine with brain tumors. Now, now that you've given me the answer, I'm fine. No, no, I get it. There is no emotionally satisfying answer to the problem of pain. You know why? Because there's enough left over of you, of the, in you of the image of God that is dissatisfied and will always be dissatisfied when innocent people suffer. That's the image of God in you. It's proof, it's evidence that there's a God in the universe and that there's a God who has the capacity to have a personal relationship with you and to interact with you. In other words, it's, it's like this. It's like we, we will do all that we can do, right? We, we will fight cancer as long as we can fight cancer. We will... We will push for clean water. We will fight sex trafficking. We will do all that we can do, but it's never going to be enough. We're going to continue to push back. We're going to continue to rescue innocent children. We're going to continue to wrestle with injustice. We're going to do all that we can, but we recognize in the midst of this decaying world that our ultimate hope is not us. We recognize in the midst of a decaying world that the only hope is a new world, a renewed world, a world where men and women have the freedom to choose, and they choose rightly. They choose justice, they choose what's good, they choose what's best. It's like we should almost say to God, we will continue to, to resist and we will continue to fight, but we recognize our ultimate hope, and this is what Christians have taught for over 2,000 years, is that our ultimate hope is come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Right? Come, Lord Jesus, come, because pain and suffering will, will not go away. Pain and suffering are not the absence of God. Pain and suffering is the evidence of the fact that we know things aren't right, that things aren't the way that they should be, that things ought to be better. And so the short answer, if somebody says, I can't believe in a God because of pain and suffering, the short answer would be something like this. You could tell them something like this. If God removed all the evil from the world, he'd have to begin with me. But I believe, and I hope you believe this, I believe this, I hope that you believe this, that God entered the world through His Son to forgive me rather than to remove me. That God entered this world through His Son to forgive me rather than to remove me. We could add that on to the end of, of our, our statements that we've been making for the last couple of weeks, and we could say this, I believe that He died on the cross for my sins and He rose from the dead. Right? I had you all say that with me a couple of weeks ago. I believe He died on the, sin, on the cross for my sins. And he rose from the dead. But not just because the Bible says so. We talked about this last week. Not just because the Bible says so, but because it's better than that. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I will pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's why, with all that you've seen, and all that you've experienced, and all that you will experience, you can maintain faith in your Heavenly Father and in His Son, Jesus Christ. Pain and suffering are not the absence of God in this world. They're evidence that there is a good God who loves you. And because of all of that pain and suffering, there will come a day when all things will be made new. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. And I am so grateful that this is not our final form. Father, I'm so grateful that you have chosen to not push that button and just remove all evil from the world because I know you would start with me. Father, I thank you that in our moments of, of doubt, of just panic, of, of whatever, that we can be reminded 
that our pain and our suffering, even though sometimes is very great, and, and Lord, we're not trying to minimize the pain and suffering that, that we've experienced or that others are experiencing. But even though it might be great, there's coming a world where all of that will be made new, where our pain and our suffering will be removed. And it won't be because of anything that we've done. It will simply be because of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, my prayer this morning is simply this, that if there are people here, if there are people watching online, if there are people wherever that don't know you as, that don't know your Son as, as their Lord and their Savior, who are outside of the grace of Jesus because of, of things that they've experienced, because of pain and suffering that they've experienced, that, that, that today they would decide to step into the grace of Jesus. That they would ultimately see that all of this stuff that we go through in this world leads us to the best possible world. A world where we're reunited with you in glory for all of eternity. Father, we love you. It's in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.